Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I I have my funny thing. Oh, I am a representative of the United Fruitcake Outlet, William Johnson. Oh, that's that's one way to do it. And I feel like that's one of the many membership cards you likely have in your portfolio, sir. I do. I do. Now see, look at that. Ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. Uh, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives to wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we welcome a very special guest. Welcome to the show, Ken Reed. Will, will you tell us about Ken Reed? And Ken, say hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I am super pumped about having this guest on. I've listened to Ken's podcast, TV Guidance Counselor, for a really long time. And because I enjoy the show, I've had the fortune of like you know checking out his comedy albums and seeing like some of his you know, TV appearances and stuff like that. I'm kind of a big super fan of, oh, of Ken. You. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. He's an, an encyclopedia of media knowledge. I'm sure I'll let him explain kind of where he's coming from. But uh, no, I, I when I when we created the show, like Ken was like one of the first people I put on the list of like, got to have him on the show. So. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Ken? <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Boston based uh, comedian and I've been doing a podcast called TV guidance counselor since 2014. The basic premise is I own more or less every issue of TV guide magazine, like a normal person would. And somebody picks an old issue, they go through and kind of pick what they'd watch that week in history. And then we just kind of talk about their choices and it's a lot of fun. And I've had a lot of people on that I have no business talking to. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's probably everything. Yeah. You've had some heavy hitters on there. I mean, you've got some, I mean, amazing episodes and, and what I like about your show is, um, and we'll link everything up for you and you can promote it at the end. But, um, you know, some of the guests you have on, you know, it's not just comedian, local comedians. I mean, you've had TV stars, you've had Ted Danson on there, you've had Bonnie Hunt, you've had uh, a lot of huge guests, and Dana Gould, who I love, one of my favorite comedians. You've had him a couple times. Oh, yeah, he's a good um, buddy. Yeah, and uh, but then you'll, you'll also have, like, journalists and writers and bloggers and, and really interesting people um, that, um, and I'm saying that, and I'm forgetting the name, but my favorite episode of your show was I, when I erased my last Twitter account, I lost touch with her, even though she was a great Twitter contact, but she was kind of the, she was the, the, the lady that, um, like went deep into like the adult film industry. Oh, Susanna uh, Breslin. Susanna Breslin. Yeah. She was, yeah, uh, fantastic. She's great. I mean, she was amazing. Like that episode, I think it's like four hours long. And I was like, it's really long. <laughs> it was one of those things where like, um, I would listen to your show on walks, you know? And it was one of those things where I was like, I'm just going to walk for four hours. Cause I got to know <laughs> what she has to say. Like, and it was a fascinating guest. You're a great interviewer. And uh, like I said, honored to have you on here. Oh, and thank you. You picked a hell of a, a hell of a movie uh, for us mm-hmm. to talk about uh, today. Don, do you want to go specifics about what the movie is? Right. We are going li- to oh, listen. Well, no, what are we, we're not going to listen. We're going to talk. Um, we're going to talk about Repo Man. And I want to say the year is 1984. Am I correct, gentlemen? That's correct. That's right. Oh, sweet. Whew. Okay. But our, our show format for those who are back to the cinephile here's if it is this the recommending lover, but in this case, our guest will go first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high minded case, especially for the man who picked it. Uh, a second lover likely will follow second with their own five minutes to kind of shower a little more of their praise as well. Then there's always a hater on this show. It's me that today. Um, they will follow with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we will open it up for a 
15 to 50 minutes of a shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. So for all the people who are boosting cars and wearing long dangly earrings in 1984, we are ready to go. So Ken, ahead, as the guest, your, you are yeah, first. Do you need questions. us to keep the? Do you need us to keep the time, or you got a little timer well, on your no, side? I can probably do it. I can, yeah, I can do it. If all for right. some reason I go, I go long. Just, uh, oh, just give me a smack. I won't even tell you if you go long. All right, we call that yeah. the Katie Glidewell rule. Am I right, Will? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably won't. I mean, uh, Repo Man is one of my all-time favorite movies. Nineteen eighty-four, the first film by Alex Cox, who is literally a, a punk rocker from the first wave of punk rock. He's an English guy who was around in England when the Sex Pistols arrived and moved to LA. To to go to film school uh he wrote this movie and directed it it was produced by michael nesmith of the monkeys it is bizarre it is prescient it is decades ahead of its time it is uh, a, a cultural um comment while also being silly and funny it also is an interesting amalgam of sort of conspiracy theories and uh, mid-century atomic culture and California culture. It stars Emilio Estevez as a punk rocker named Otto who becomes a repo man for cars. And his repo, um, I guess, uh, what would you call it? His repo, Mr. Miyagi, if you will, is Harry Dean Stanton, who is amazing in this movie, has some incredible speeches. There is just a lot of very quotable lines, very strange performances, some by non-actors in the best possible way. Uh, just, it's a movie that I think about almost every day. Uh, the philosophy about coincidences, they're the plate of shrimp, as Miller calls it, is something I reference almost on a daily basis. I saw this movie in the theater when I was four years old. It immediately changed my life. If people need to know what my life philosophy is they simply need to watch this film uh amazing soundtrack as well as you would imagine it's funny it's weird it's a lean-in movie where if you know nothing about it as soon as you start watching it even if you dislike it you will just lean, need to lean in and think what the hell is this what's going on it's hard to know what will happen next it is constantly surprising and it gets better every time i've seen it and i've seen it Oh, I don't know, at least 50 times. Uh, it, if you've seen it for the first time now, it may not feel as um, innovative because so many things have taken from it over the years, including a number of Quentin Tarantino things, but I won't go down that path. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are referencing similar things like Kiss Me Deadly, but uh, this is a very original film. Uh, Alex Cox did a number of good movies after this, nothing as good as this. Uh, and again, I think it just, it holds up so well. It is a great snapshot of Los Angeles in 1984, the art world, the punk rock world. Uh, you have music by the plugs who are an incredibly underrated band. Uh, it's just great. I, I, I can't say anything else about it. Done. Boom. Yeah. Nicely done. Ken, I'm pretty sure that was it. There's the bell. Yeah, yeah. Ken, I'm pretty sure that was under five minutes. Nicely done. All right, fruitcake, you're next. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, this is uh this is interesting for me because um uh for for those who know who Ken is and and uh you know 
Ken is like a punk rock kind of guy. And uh, I've always been on the little bit of the outskirts of punk. Um, I grew up, uh, I was a metalhead, you know, and that, that has aspects of punk, you know, uh, uh, bands like Slayer and uh, even a little bit more uh, bands in like the 2000s, like System of a Down and things like that. They kind of have like a punk aesthetic, but they're you know more metal bands. Um, I was always kind of on the outside looking in at, at punk and also my heyday of like sixth grade through maybe like sophomore, junior year of high school. It was kind of the, the advent of pop punk, you know, like the, the green days and the blink One Eighty Twos and things like that. And I would always get kind of cross-eyed looks from the metal fans and the punk fans for liking that kind of stuff. And I still do. I still love, uh, you know, a good, a good blink One Eighty Two song. So I'm definitely not like a punk expert in any way. And, but, um, and actually I emailed Ken once and was like, can you give me like the primer for punk rock? And I, uh, it was so overwhelming and I was so ignorant of it that um, I, I was like, man, I have so much catching up to do on actual punk. And, and the reason why, and I've never seen this movie. And I mentioned this about the punk thing because this movie kind of feels like uh, not only like a time capsule, but it's, it is also timeless because it's commenting on so many parts of culture. Um, you know, the punk culture, that kind of subterranean punk culture, it focuses on, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, soon to be gone, but definitely still present, you know, nuclear fears, you know, that of it had existed at that point in America for 30 plus years with the Cold War. Um, there's kind of the dying out of hippie culture. There's, there's some brief moments with Otto's parents where you're kind of like, oh, so this is what happened to those guys that were all about free love and, and free weed and hacky sacks and stuff. And, and, and just the, the, budding commercialism of everything you know everyone's out for a quick buck i mean there's i mean that's just some of the things this movie goes into and and i bring up the punk because the soundtrack is phenomenal i mean if there was any punk acts or punk adjacent kind of things that i was kind of into i was kind of into the stooges and and iggy pop and stuff like that and this movie opens up with an iggy pop jam and you're just like wow this is amazing and this this feels like much like ken's email to me like kind of a primer for that culture so if you're trying to get into that I, I think it's it's really hard. I mean, a lot of movies play into the concept of like trying to um, uh, replicate a culture, you know. And this one does it because it's from an authentic voice of that culture. But like you said, it could be revolutionary in 1984, but still an epic commentary, a timeless yet also time capsule commentary of that culture at that time. This. Reagan era, you know, um, commercialism, selfish me, 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 commercialism, nuclear fears, all this kind of stuff. There's just so much going on with this. And not to mention the fact that it is, like Ken said, just goofy fun, too. I mean, you've got, you know, punks that are like, let's go do some crimes, let's go buy some sushi and not pay for it. And, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, 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 alien figures in the back of a trunk that make people turn into a skeleton, which is one of my favorite things you could ever ask for. Um, there's just so much going on. It's so fun, but, yeah, but also, like I said, you can pop in the repo man soundtrack and then you are, it's almost like, and I actually talked about this on a, uh, another show we did, uh, me and Don did uh, on the movie spawn, actually, when we were talking about, or Don wasn't on that one, but uh, we were talking about uh, soundtracks and how they used to be a supplement to the film. Uh, and like when you listen to it, it would put you in the mindset of the film and soundtracks really don't do that anymore. And this is definitely one of those. Like I've been listening to the Repo Man soundtrack for um, the last two weeks just on my way to work and 
at work and, and stuff like that. And it's just, it's completely, you know, like puts me in the mood of the movie, which has that punk feel. It just completely gets me into that world. And if you need a primer to get into what that subculture is like, this is the movie to do that. Uh, not to mention the fact that because I watched this movie and I was supposed to watch another, epi- another movie for an episode we have Ken on in the future, Back to the Beach, I ended up watching like almost all of Alex Cox's films in a row just to kind of try to savor that experience again. So it's not just a film. It's, it is a representation of so many things, a historical document, yet also, as Ken said, prescient. You know, there's stuff going on in, this, in that film then that is going on now so it's it's just it's a unique film experience and i'm so lucky that i got to actually like finally experience it at the age of 40 you know and uh put the blink 182 tapes away maybe for a minute and pop in some more of that iggy pop and circle jerks nicely done Oh, I got to go last, huh? Well, the Midwestern Square is last. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm that guy who was not a punk kid. Uh, you know, it was shunned in the places I, circles I went. As hardcore as I ever got, it was like, you know, I'm a Chicago guy. So Smashing Pumpkins was, you know, the, the more the grunge stuff landed on me more than anything else as a kid who grew up listening to his dad's bad classic rock in 80s country. So it was, <laughs> I didn't get to see, I didn't get the punk scene. The punk scene was beyond me. Uh, didn't you know didn't get to my little small town south of chicago so coming to this um and watching this for the first time because i'd never seen this movie till we had this assignment for the podcast uh i was definitely t- you know soaked into a place that i didn't expect to go and in, in in lots of great ways because um yeah this uh i like the way you put it ken as a as a lean-in movie because uh there is definitely like a hook line and sinker kind of bait that kind of comes with this because i um you see that cover, you see that poster and you get that kind of that look of like, ah, oh, the hand painted poster, the, the punk thing, you know, like there's echoes of us, you know, like the warriors to the look to it. And like, oh, this will be just kind of a, you know, a pushback against the man kind of thing. And Emilio Estevez is going to have his soapbox and have his diatribes or something like that. If you just look at the poster and just look where that's going, that could be a place where your head goes. But then to see it kind of like Ken says, lean into so many little places and so many little things that um, for it to, for the punk part to kind of be around, but then dissolve away um, into this kind of seedy, you know, Southwest noir kind of thing where I'm, I'm not saying this is Taylor Sheridan doing what we're doing now with this whole little podunk crime kind of genre that's happening right now. But I could see seeds of that. Uh, and, and when Ken says he can see seeds of kind of the Chatty Cathy random events of violence, Quentin Tarantino stuff. Yes. Quentin Tarantino owes some debt to alex cox in movies like this um but no um i really enjoyed it i think the thing that really brought me into this movie to to enjoy it where i did um was was harry dean stan you know uh, as that as that uh slick mentor character take no shit character old grizzled dude um you know fall with emilio with that boyish glee kind of coming through when he washes up the punk part you can kind of see where that's going to be a nice relationship and harry dean you know leans into you know, kind of carrying the film when he can with Emilio there with him. And uh, you pile on the mentors, you know, like Cy Richardson plays a, a awesome little kind of secondary mentor and repo man person with the dangling cigarette and the, and the long stories of what he's got. And then you got Vanetta McGee, who's, you know, the badass secretary who just happens to turn it on when she needs to, in terms of just, um, you know, running that office and being a woman in that spot. And uh, yeah, it's, and then, um, 
where this movie leaned me in the most was was the science fiction angle. Like that's that's something I can buy into, and that's you come out of like um I'm when I kind of put myself in that 1984 place, and like Starman is right around there with John Carpenter, and I know that's more of a a softy kind of thing, but just in that like you have this kind of vibe of like not ostentatiously loud and busy, but just like there's enough oddity to make you kind of go, all right, where's this going? And I admit that's something that I can trans watch this movie and kind of transport myself to 84 and kind of be like, all right, this would be something wholly unique and different for what it is. And uh, I'll, I'll be the, the dorky movie critic that kind of quotes Roger Ebert. He's kind of got a good little paragraph in line where he says, uh, um, he says, quote, I saw Repo Man near the end of a busy stretch on the movie beat, three days during which I saw more relentlessly bad movies than during any comparable period in my memory. Most of those bad movies were so cynically constructed out of formula ideas and quote unquote commercial ingredients that watching them was an ordeal. And he says, Repo Man comes out of left field. No big stars, didn't cost much, takes chances, dares to be unconventional, and is funny and works. And he says, there's a lesson there. And I, as a guy who writes on a silly self blog called every movie has a lesson. I can get behind that. So um, to see this movie have the, the legacy that it does to kind of, you know, be a bit of a science fiction possibility. And then a comedy on so many little angles of just, just randomness, you know, like you, like Will said between the disintegrating glow of the trunk to a floating car over LA at the end. I mean, there's something that just is there to, you know, cock your head to the side and make you go, damn. And uh, movies that can do that, Deserve, deserve their chances to be seen and be appreciated even if they um even if they miss you for the whole scene that maybe they are in or introducing to you can still step back i hope and see the originality see the effort and just appreciate something different um because i i yeah you you've got these tarantino ripoffs ideas that come since but like i don't have a good comp that you can say, oh yeah, this is like a this movie coming out in 2021. Like, look how different it is for the genre and stuff like that. I don't have one for that. You know, this movie just kind of takes this little thing and kind of goes. And that that there's some fun to that. And uh that's something I can appreciate. I I can't like fall at the altar to it to the point where I'm gonna like rewatch this to the level that Ken does, but uh I'm very glad that this was the homework assignment we got. So I'm in for that. So we all like. So, it. ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah, we, 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 I, I, I was there for it. I was there for it. Um, before we get into our group discussion here, we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we played. Come hang out, but hurry, the killer's behind you. All right, welcome back. Uh, Ken, yeah, as the guest and as the introducer that pours the snake oil in my ear to enjoy this, tell us some more about where this is coming from. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. And it's, it's, I really enjoyed hearing the takes of people who have not seen it before and are not necessarily mm-hmm. familiar with the movie for your genuine reactions. And Another thing I love about this movie is often movies that are associated with any sort of cultural movement, especially musical movement, come from a point of nostalgia. They're very rarely made contemporary to the thing that they're documenting. And they're often inauthentic or rose-colored glasses. This movie is actually very critical of punk rock and Mm. that scene. And this is sort of the, by 1984, you're talking the third wave of punk rock in LA alone. And at this point Mm -hmm. it became 
sort of spoiled rich suburban kids who were disaffected and nihilistic and they don't shy away from parroting those people and 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 while at the same time saying well they there's something to this you know i understand where they're coming from but also come on kids shut up you know and it also manages to be critical of the sort of punk rock ideal and then becoming sort of the corporate man literally you know repossessing <laughs> things for a bank and all that said everything we've said about the sort of underlying message of this movie you could watch this movie and not pick up any of that and just enjoy a fun, weird, goofy comedy with a lot of fun, weird lines, um, you know, right down to like uh, feeling lucky seven, stop singing. I wasn't singing guy. Um, there's just so many weird, funny lines in this. Um, yeah. And the, the sci-fi touches are mysterious enough mm-hmm. that you are instantly fascinated by them. Oh yeah. The budget Definitely. doesn't matter because we never see the aliens and they could be fake to the point where they go, this is just a picture of water filled condoms. What is this? Or like the <laughs> right. scientist woman with the metal hand, like that's never explained. Yeah. Um, but you're like, I need to know more about that. And to me, it's that kind of movie where you watch it and then you go, I think I need to see that again. Mm. Yeah. No, for sure. No, I, I admit, yeah, as I, as an eighties, you know, as a person who had my eighties heyday or had my chances, like I'm a, I'm an unashamed and I'm probably going to get shamed for it. Uh, Tom Cruise fan. We're like eighties. Tom Cruise was fine for me. And I know he's been a loon since, but like cocktail, like I was that kid who was like nine when cocktail came on. It was like, Oh my gosh, look how cool alcohol looks. Can't wait to get there when I'm 18 or 21 or something like that. So like, like that movie has like Coglin's law and all the Brian Brownisms in that movie. So for this movie to have like the repo code, I was hook, line and sinker. Like, yes, give me those nuggets of life lessons. Go for it. Yeah. And I was pulling up some quotes um, too, because Mm -hmm. yeah, there is a level of like outright satire and then very subtle satire. I mean, there's great moments. He does this in another film. I want to talk about in a little bit, but with Alex Cox's filmography, but like there's that moment where uh, Duke played by the wonderfully named Dick rude. Yep. um, He Mm -hmm. gets shot in the convenience store and he goes, you know, the lights are growing dim, Otto. I know a life of crime has led me to this sorry fate, and yet I blame yeah. society. <laughs> society made me what I am. And he's like, that's bullshit. You're a white suburban punk just like me. <laughs> right. Um, and it's but, such shitty like, acting, but it, I know it's probably well, yeah, intentionally shitty to make the guy look like he does. Like, you know? Yeah, and, and yeah. he he co-wrote the movie as well, Dick Rude. And my favorite line, one of my favorite lines, is after that whole exchange, he, and he's clearly dead. He goes, "You're gonna be okay." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, or or that lady with the crazy hand. She's like, uh, oh, "It happens sometimes. People just explode. Natural causes." There we go. You know, like yeah. uh, it just there. There is a lot of randomness, and and I think that um, a film that has tonal shifts like this is you know, you really have to be good at it to pull it off. Like that scene doesn't really work unless you're fully bought into what Alex Cox is selling, you know, like mm-hmm. that could come across Great as way like of a really it. fall flat joke, but he's built you up to the point where you can, yeah, you can suddenly have a guy that's literally going like, let's do crimes. Suddenly go into a soliloquy about society while he's dying of gunshot wounds to his chest. You know, it's, Mm-hmm. It's it's outside of just the weirdness of it. It's it's, it's a it's a beautifully directed and edited film, in my opinion, because 
it's it's just kind of masterful storytelling and as i've discovered and uh you know when i went down this alex cox wormhole is that this is kind of what he did you know this is kind of his style you know some of the other films that i watched you know kind of as i i agree with ken not as good as repo man but follow that same formula where it's almost so absurd that it comes back around again to be like serious it's weird He's a fascinating guy. He's an absolutely fascinating guy. I've had the the pleasure of meeting and speaking to him several times. And he also, he also used to host a show in the UK called cinema drum. And it was a movie show. I think it was on Saturday nights where he would, he would pick the movies and present the movies and speak about them. And all of his introductions are on YouTube. There's ones for movies. You like movies you've heard of movies you've never heard of. And he always has a really fascinating take on them. They're worth watching. Um, and he's, he's a hardcore punk guy, you know, he's in his Mm sixties and he believes, he believes in the ideals. He really does. And it's evident in his other movies. Like I assume straight to hell is probably the closest movie he made to repo man. Um, Hmm, that, that movie's a mess. Um, what is entertaining? Um, and you know, very similar cast that is also the movie that gave us Courtney love. Um, (laughs) but you know, then he made very serious movies like Walker is a very serious movie. Well, yeah, I would say, yeah, I was going to talk about those two because we were talking about the Tarantino effect straight to hell is definitely where reservoir dogs and Pulp Fiction had to come from. Right. I mean, they have Mm -hmm. from that film because, um, I remember watching because I, I had all these films I've watched were the first time watches for me. So this, his filmography was completely new to me. So I'm seeing all these, like you said, after the ripoff phase, you know, and straight to hell, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, so that's Samuel Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction. That's where <laughs> yep. it came from. You know what I mean? Um, Walker is really interesting because it, too, is a like you said, a serious film. It's brutally honest satire, like like almost like mean spirited satire. But then mm. it will have moments of like pure uh, like not obnoxious but absurdity like you know at one point like they stop making it a historical film about guatemala and people are driving cars and reading time magazine and yep. helicopters are landing in the middle of and it's like whoa where the hell like you, you're like how the hell did he even think of this you know it just came out of nowhere um it, it's that you know but the, it was a little bit more pointed because i understand that they even have references to it in repo man he's always been fascinated with like Nicaragua and mm-hmm. like uh what, what would you call it like uh someone who goes like rogue to create a sovereign state or something like he's always found that fascinating and Walker is kind yeah. of that embodiment of that it's a, Walker was definitely I mean next to Repo Man which I loved Walker was definitely one of my favorite movie experiences because I was just like just like Repo Man I was like what the hell am I watching exactly and I I understood what he was going for, but I was still kind of blown away and always guessing until the very end, you know? Yeah. Even his most mainstream movie, which is probably Sid and Nancy, uh, does that sort of anachronistic thing. And it's difficult to put that in context now because he made Sid and Nancy in 1985 and, mm-hmm. you know, someone saying, Oh, he's making a biopic of, you know, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. It would feel like a nostalgia piece and very far removed, but he was making that movie five years really less than five years after the events of it which is right kind of crazy and there are people he actually knows and a lot of people are basically playing themselves in that movie and he he manages to take that 
sad, ridiculous story and make parts of it beautiful, but also comment on the fact that people have, um, you know, lionized these junkies as this beautiful love story Mm -hmm. when they're just gross people. And he manages to, to convey both of those ideas and be sincere with both. It's, it's by all accounts, his films should be incredibly cynical and Mm. they never are somehow. No, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. I, I watch it and I see it's, let's say it's more, instead of being cynical, I I would say it's more true to life because we all have, you know, me and Don are teachers. So we see some of, and when I say this, I I will clarify with context, you know, we see some of the worst of humanity, you know, like we see how people treat, we see how people treat kids and neglect kids and treat them like crap or whatever. But then we also see like, so you can be cynical about like society or like where the politics are going or where this is going, but then you can also spend time with the kids and be like, Oh, there's still innocence in the world. There's still this, there's like a balance to it. Mm -hmm. Like repo man has those moments where it's kind of like, yeah, they're poking fun at like, like I said, that hippie culture from that is kind of dying out and how just like destructive, like the punk scene, no matter how, um, you know, noble or, um, you know, uh, authentic it was. It just like anything else, it became corporatized and changed. Mm-hmm. So you can be mm-hmm. cynical about that, but also still have like love for something like that, or you know, or see it for what it is and take the good and the bad out of it. Like you're right, it's like it, it's not just a straight like cynical exercise. I think Walker is definitely perhaps his most cynical work because it is uh, just an element of human arrogance or brutality, but. I would agree with you on some of the other stuff. There's like these moments of yeah, humanity and balance. Cause life is never black and white. It's very great. There's a lot of stuff in there yeah. that you can go to work every day and be like, Holy crap, this sucks, but this is great. You know, like it's, it has that balance. And Walker's the one he's the most personally removed from in the story. And I think that, that comes across. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, that movie is pretty pitch black dark in my opinion. <laughs> so that's a pretty, yeah. pretty, and a ballsy movie too, because like it ruined Harris, his career. It ruined his career. It, yeah, it got him blacklisted yeah. from Hollywood. Well, and that's interesting because I wanted to get your. I mean, we won't spend too much time on it, but I, it, one of the other ones I watched, I didn't get to watch a lot of them because it's only been the last week. But his exile because of Walker, he went to Mexico and made films. And I watched Highway Patrol Man, mm-hmm. and I remember like while I was watching it. I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's just kind of, you know, it feels like a typical Hollywood film of what Mexico would make. Mexico Hollywood, yeah. you know? But then I slept on it. And I actually had a dream about it. And then I was thinking about it the next day. And I was like, holy crap, that was like his, almost his, um, I don't know how to, it's kind of like what you're saying. Like, my first thought was okay this is going to be you know cuz the 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 outrage now i wouldn't say outrageous stereotype but one of the things you expect like when you hear like when you visit mexico is like be ready to bribe the police right be ready to mm-hmm. you know deal with corrupt cops right and that the story does deal with that but instead of like demonizing that like it brings humanity to that process like it shows you that maybe this stuff is systemic just like it's systemic in the united states it's systemic in mexico too there's good parts and bad parts there's good people and bad people in that kind of thing and it's one of those films i just keep thinking about 
over and over again. And I remember I, my rating keeps going up on it. Cause I'm just like, this is a actually a masterful film uh, of his. And we wouldn't have got it if he didn't get exiled because it's like, isn't it like the first English language director to direct a fully Mexican production or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. It, so it's, with great with great film artisans down there. I mean, the Mexican film industry has some really talented people that you know didn't get utilized like the Canadian film industry did mm-hmm. by Hollywood, which yep. is unusual given how close it is. Oh, I know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, 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 you know, I'm so glad I saw Repo Man because it did let me go down this wormhole of Alex Cox, and I, I've discovered. And, and watching those other films helped me like Repo Man even more because I was like, okay. This wasn't just a one-off. That. It wasn't like a, like we didn't get like a, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is we didn't get like a John Singleton effect where it's like he made right. Boys in the Hood, which mm-hmm. was so revolutionary and huge and, and captured the culture at that time. And then he just never made a film anywhere close to that. Like this was Alex Cox. This was him. Repo Man was him. And he kept that aesthetic throughout his other films. I mean, I, I can't vouch for, I know that there was a sequel. I have not seen it. Repo Chick. Uh, yeah, that's him kind of. He with Repo Chick and Three Businessmen is a great movie as well. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that I one. I haven't seen that one yet. It's on the list. Yeah. One of his more obscure ones. But um, Repo Chick is, he's kind of doing a similar thing that David Lynch did with Twin Peaks The Return, where he's essentially mm-hmm. saying, nostalgia is toxic. You can't go home again. This is what you think mm. you want, and it's not. And I'm going to give you what you think you want. And, you know, I'm going to make you smoke the whole pack of cigarettes till you puke. <laughs> it's that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Right. Oh, it's a great, it's a, you know, now I'm going to watch that because that, uh, you know, I don't know how you feel, Ken, about whether Twin Peaks The Return is a film or not. I know it's 18 episodes, but a lot of people argue it's an 18 hour film. I loved but, it. Yeah, I know. I love I, it's one of my favorite pieces of art I've ever seen. I, it's and I, for the reasons you mentioned. Um, he did an actual sequel to Repo Man that he wrote a script for, and it came out as a graphic novel because he couldn't get funding for it. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that, that, it, I want to chase that great. down too. It's I really. Heard. I have a copy. I can. I'll scan it for you. It's really, really good. Oh, thanks, man. That'd be great. Yeah, that's. I need to see Repo Chick now because I want to see it from that perspective. Because anyone I've ever asked about Repo Chick, they're just like, "Well, it looks like a lot of green screen crap, and it doesn't look like anything cool." And maybe they're for maybe they're kind of forgetting who directed it and what the purpose of it is. Maybe. Yeah. They wanted like SLC punk or something. It's Mm. it's if you, I think a good comparison to Alex Cox's and I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. um, You're good. Is Richard Kelly. So if you look at Ah. Donnie Darko and compare that to repo man, they are sort of similar in actually in a lot of ways, but um you know, Donnie Darko is that sort of sad commentary story, very time and place with sci-fi elements. And in Richard Kelly's case is a complete fluke <laughs> based on the, the rest of his filmography. And even right. based on his director's cut of Donnie Darko, you go, oh, you had no idea what you were making. <laughs> yeah. the, the studio made your movie good. You know, um, whereas Alex Cox is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for a new filmmaker. If, if you're not mm-hmm. given rules or you're not, you know, someone who does like a gatekeeper, it's good sometimes. And if you look at the two, you realize that from the similar, very similar first film, Cox knows what he's doing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, that surprised me too, because when the only thing holding me back from repo man was, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be, because I know Ken, you're, 
you know, Don isn't as much, but I know that, you know, we're kind of into the schlocky horror. Like we can watch low budget stuff. It doesn't bother us, but right. you know, mm-hmm. but you do get burned on it sometimes. Cause you're like, that's a great idea. And sometimes it is just like terrible. Yeah. And, very poorly and, executed. Yeah. And I, and I, my only thing holding me back from Reaper Man after, despite all hearing all this stuff about the cult classic of it was, I was kind of like, well, it's going to be like his, one of his first films. It's going to be too raw. It's going to be hard to watch. You know what I mean? And yeah, when it popped on and I was like, oh shit, this guy knows what he's doing immediately. Mm-hmm. Like he, it's kind of like yeah. when you watch like uh, Duel or Sugarland Express from Spielberg. You're like, okay, the guy naturally knows what he's doing. Like it's right. just he's not learning by doing. <laughs> no, exactly. Right, right. And that, that's Good what struck it. me too. I, that struck me too because I was like, oh shit, this is actually this is also going to be an actually good cinematic experience besides, you know, the intention of it, you know, it's funny. It's funny. You mentioned that about studios. Cause me and Don were having that conversation once because um, as you know, I, I don't know how much you know about me personally or what I tweet, but you know, I'm kind of a big Marvel guy. Like I, I, yeah. support, I, I, I love the MCU. I love supporting that stuff because I, I'm not a gatekeeper. Like I hate when people say something isn't art or cinema. That's kind of my, my big thing. And, one of the reasons why we founded the show is because me and Don would fight against That's all these right. people that are like, it's, it's not cinema. And I, I like that you bring that up because, you know, one of these guys, one of these older gentlemen that likes to shit all over like current Hollywood or whatever is Francis Ford Coppola. And it, it's like you said, like, you know, the studio saved Donnie Darko from the director. Like what people forget is that like Francis Ford Coppola made these films. He made like three films before the Godfather and they were unmitigated disasters all over budget. They were horrible films. They never made any money. Like they were poorly put together. I'm sure there's someone out there who's going, how dare you? Francis Ford Coppola is the master, whatever. They were for all intents and purposes, messes and disasters. He gets the Godfather. The studio puts a little bit of restriction on him. And what do you know? He Mm. makes one of the greatest films of all time. It's okay to have that push and pull. Like if you need that direction, so it's like you said, like like uh, Richard Kelly, like he maybe needs a little bit of that direction, a little bit yeah. of that reining in, and that and 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 the opposite side of that is Alex Cox, where they must have just like I wonder because with Straight to Hell and Walker, which Walker it seems pretty tight. I think it's a pretty tight film. Yeah. Straight to Hell is kind of all over the place. It is kind of a mess. It's episodic as hell. Like it's like 95 episodes of a TV series put into like an hour and 40 minutes. It's like vacation um, slides of a bunch of friends. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what the, that's what it was. Right. Didn't he yeah. film it? Didn't he film it in Spain with like a bunch of, uh, like a bunch of bands that he was trying to get. Yeah. yeah. So it's Spain and Italy. They're filming on the actual spaghetti Western sets that all the Sergio wow. Leone stuff was set on. And yeah, it's the Pogues, it's the clash, you know, it's all his buddies. Um, my friend Kato Reardon from the Pogues is in it. She sings, um, waltzing Matilda at the end there. Oh no, Danny boy. Um, no. and yeah, they, they had no idea, you know, they were just kind of just messing around. Basically they wanted to make a Western and you know, it's evident it's still a coherent story. Oddly. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It has a, a, B and C structure to it in a way, (laughs) but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Don, did you, have you, had you dug into any Alex Cox either before um, or after? No, I have, I I have not. Your rabbit hole since then has inspired me to try to get into that a little bit. I was really trying to pay attention, like you guys said, to and because you saw this before me in our homework here, Will, and where uh, you kind of, you know, like you said in your five minutes, you really kind of embraced the pop scene. So I was like trying to, 
you know, be a sponge ready for that vibe a little bit. And I, I got to tip my hat to that Iggy pop theme and just kind of the, the music in the background. And like you said, Ken, I know this is like coming from an era that's, you know, third in line and things like that, but, but it's, you know, it creates the right kind of tone, the right kind of, you know, um, atmosphere for, for the, for not just the, the, the clash, the, the clash of cultures and, and, people and such of all that but it, it still gives that weird vibe that kind of goes with the movie too so i, I tip my hat to the iggy pop you know bass and spine to where the the musical side of this movie goes so yeah and the plugs cannot be understated they, they mm, um you know totally. some of those got they, they were a completely mexican punk rock band and one of the things that often gets overlooked in the la punk rock scene and I won't go down this whole rabbit hole because I could talk about that forever, but is the huge sort of Chicano Mexican influence of, cause it's, cl it's a class thing it, more than a, more than a race thing. Oh, you know, totally. it's the, who's the middle class and who, who, who is um, utilizing this music as a voice the most. And there, there's a huge influence of, of that group of people in Los Angeles and the, and the plugs who do all the sort of cool, weird, surfy, basically the score of the film. They also do a few mm. songs, like they do uh, Secret Agent mm -hmm. in Spanish, and they have some other songs. Oh, that's but cool. Yeah. setting that yeah, sort what? of surfy weird vibe but it's vaguely mexican and also surfy which is very california um mm -hmm. also is a huge part of setting the tone of that movie and Definitely. It's, it's interesting it's interesting too because i read i mean I, I i maybe noticed this subconsciously but i was reading some reviews of repo man like on letterboxd right. or something and somebody mentioned something really interesting that uh, and oddly, my weird comp of the day, this reminds me of the Terminator a little bit too. the original Terminator. Same year, is, same place. Yeah, this this is a California movie with no beach, no sunshine, mm -hmm. no palm right. trees, no like none of the um, like stereotypical California imagery you get, you know, and I think of Terminator the same way. Cause that's like a slasher film, but like in downtown Los Angeles, you know, it's, it's a downtown LA movie. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a whole sort of almost inadvertent subgenre of downtown LA movies that I love. And whenever I go to LA, uh, the first place I went was downtown because of these movies and you get sure. yeah Terminator, Repo Man, Night of the Comet, even Omega mm -hmm. Man. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, know, absolutely. These are, these are downtown LA miracle mile um, that ha it's a totally different vibe. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and, and that's another thing that you kind of get down that rabbit hole a little bit is, you know, and, and I'm using, I mean, I mostly watched like three or four other Alex Cox films. And like you said, his approach with his other films is similar to Repo Man in that, like I'm saying, you're not getting the glorified LA, the glorified, you know, things you see on Beverly Hills 902 and stuff like that. Yeah, Walker, same with London. Yeah. Yeah, Walker, you're getting like, this very stripped down Nicaragua straight to hell. They're filming mm. on these spaghetti Western sets, but it's also kind of vaguely like they're dilapidated. So it's almost post-apocalyptic and not sure what's going on. And mm -hmm. then the reason why I love highway Patrolman is because I've never been to Mexico, despite me living so close here in Arizona. And I have students that go there all the time because 90% of my school population is Hispanic. And I've never really like, because I've never been there. And we have, much like California, a, a very specific, stereotypical, driven view of Mexico to kind of see Mexico like in the non, you know, 
like the media will have you believe that Mexico is like resorts on one side and then just right. endless poor on the other. Right. Right. There's cockfights mm-hmm. and luchadors. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and highway <laughs> patrolman really kind of just shows normal life in Mexico. Yeah. And it's, and I was kind of like fascinated by that because, and then in all these films, it, it, it is definitely like kind of a more outsider look at like, you know, mm-hmm. These, these places that you're not used to seeing. And I think that also helps make these movies particularly special because you are getting a different perspective than you normally get from stuff. And I, and I think that helps. And that's why all these films, even if maybe straight to hell isn't my favorite thing I've ever seen, I'll still rewatch it and recommend it. Cause I'm just like, well, you got to experience it because it's entertaining. Getting, yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta right. kind of like, live in that that world for 96 minutes you know it's it's a fascinating thing and and i and i can't wait to dig into more alex cox stuff even though i know that you know maybe it's diminishing returns i mean you're more of an expert than i am ken i mean some of the stuff i haven't mentioned i've mentioned some heavy hitters we've mentioned sid and nancy repo man walker straight to hell highway patrolman you've mentioned three businessmen repo chick is there any other ones that you can think of? I know that he had one that he wanted to do an Alan Smithy on called the winner with Vincent D'Onofrio, but yeah. Um, yeah. He store he sort of Walker in addition to Hollywood really being like, we can't work with this guy anymore. Uh-huh. It, it disillusioned him to a degree where he stopped doing projects with the exception of highway patrol and three businessmen is, is um, personal because Dick Rude, it's, it's Dick Rude, uh, Alex Cox playing a part in it and Cy uh, Richardson. So it's like a friends kind of getting together and doing an interesting weird thing, but he stopped doing projects that he was really passionate and personal about. Mm -hmm. Um, So sort of after Walker, he kind of gets, there's less of him in this stuff. Um, mm, and got he it. got more into, he, he became a film critic, really. Um, his film criticism is amazing. He, he has a book out uh, currently about the TV show, the prisoner. And I talked to him actually mm. about being on TV guidance counselor. And he said, you know, I, 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 I don't really watch TV. I only like the prisoner, <laughs> <laughs> um, which makes sense if you've ever seen the prisoner or knowing his work. Um, so he, he sort of. I think he, you know, speaking about how his films weren't cynical, I think that he got a little bit beaten down by the creative world and got a little cynical and kind of, kind of recognized the fact that he couldn't make movies at a hundred percent like he wanted to, Mm. because he kind of lost the the luster, you know? Interesting. That's an interesting point. So I, Mm. yeah, I mean, there's definitely a couple, I'm definitely going to put those, like I said, I'm definitely gonna watch repo chick now that you made the twin peaks comparison, but I'm going to check out three businessmen too. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll, uh, um, give that a, uh, a watch when I can, I, maybe I won't yeah. go out of my way to, to watch them like I right. these other ones, but uh, the cinema drone stuff you guys would love because it's just as movie nerds and, you know, and I say mm-hmm. that with love, um, and it, it's such a wide a uh, variety of movies that he would show on cinema drum. And he would sometimes show movies he hates, but he would present them in a way that's like a film professor, but not dry. Right. Like in a way that's like, we're going to watch this cause I hate it. So you can learn what, what I hate <laughs> about it and get something out of that, you know? Um, right. And it's, uh, it's interesting. He's a very interesting guy. I, I want to watch those because I think all of us have, 
and once again, you're more of an expert on this with the TV angle than I am, and maybe Don is too. I'm just going to speak for Don and say that Ken knows more than you about TV stuff. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I, I think we all kind of had like our quote unquote horror host, you know, that we had that, or or our movie host. Sure. And that was still a sure. thing. Like for me, it was Monster Vision and Joe Bob Briggs. That's where I got introduced to like some really like B grade movies. But then he did the same thing. Joe Bob kind of did the same thing where he would, uh, you know, TNC would start making him play like, you know, Back to the Future or something. And he'd be like, this is not really my thing, but we're going to watch it anyway. And then he'd t- make fun of it, you know. And I really want to watch this Alex Cox one because he does seem kind of like that almost walking encyclopedia, but like maybe on more of a, like you said, a little bit more wide ranging. Like he's got movies from all over the place, you know, that are, that are yeah. like wicker man. He actually uh, showed Terminator and he has some really interesting comments about Terminator. Cause he was, you know, there when they're filming it, basically it was <laughs> shot more or less concurrently with repo man, like blocks away. Um, you know, trancer, like he just, it's all over the place and drama to strain, like just crazy oh, wow. different movies that he, he would present on that. And you said these are on uh, YouTube, right? Like yeah, people have uploaded almost all of his movie, and it's movie drum. I'm sorry, it's not cinema drum, um, but it's and it's interesting too. Like Edgar Wright, um, who I apologize, I'm dropping a name, who I've talked to before, um, <laughs> in a little bit. Like he he cites movie drum as being like the mm. thing that made him want to direct movies. <laughs> Damn, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, he's yeah he he seems like one of those. Um, he he seems kind of like Excuse a uh, game kind of thing. Yeah. Well, Edgar, yeah, he seems he Edgar, Edgar Wright seems to be kind of like an amalgamation of like Tarantino, Cox, and maybe like Spielberg. Like where sure. he's got like the he's got like the mainstream tendencies that he can he can apply, but he's got that mm-hmm. nerdy niche thing going on too, where it's like I'm gonna be a little bit on the margins, you know. So which I think yeah. is why his films are always kind of a little bit. Um, uh, not controversial is not the polarizing in yeah. the States at least mm-hmm. because all of his movies, I mean, you know, there's detractors for almost all of them. I mean, I think hot fuzz is because I grew up, you know, loving lethal weapon and, and die hard and things like that. I mean, that that's like made for me, but you know, there's, there was detractors of Scott Pilgrim and detractors of baby driver and detractors of the new one. Right. I can't remember the name, but, and I think it's because it is that mixture of like, you're like, you're almost getting that mainstream, but he's going to pull it back just a little bit. Just a if, little bit. If you'll indulge me, I, there's yeah. 18 films that he did for the first season of Movie Drum. I'm just going to read them real quick and, and see what you think. Right. It's The Wicker Man, Electric Glide and Blue, Diva, Razorback, Big Wednesday, Fat City, The Last Picture Show, Ooh. Barbarella, The Hired Hand, Johnny Guitar, The Parallax View, Long Hair of Death, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Fly, One from the Heart, The Man Who Fell to Earth, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and One-Eyed Jacks. Wow. That sounds fascinating. Um, are we talking with those two... With the invasion and the fly, are these the originals or the remakes? The originals, the originals. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear his take. On, what was the one you just mentioned? I think it was like for the third or fourth one. I can't remember what you said. Big Wednesday? Remember. No. There was a Razorback? Razorback. <laughs> Razorback's a weird one. Yeah, I saw Razorback. I saw Razorback on Monster Vision with Joe yeah. Briggs because he did that one too, where it's like this gorgeous, like Australian, this, if I'm thinking of the right one like this gorgeous australian like art film and then it just happens to have like a killer 
Yeah, it's Russell right. Mulcahy. It's the movie he made right before Highlander, and he had done yeah. a lot of okay. music videos before that. Um, yeah, it just just weird mix of yeah, and then season two. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole there, but it's the man with the X-ray eyes, Jabberwocky, DOA, the thing from another world, Incredible Shrinking Man, California Dolls, THX 1138, Stardust Memories, Night of the Comet, The Grissom Gang, Ace in the Hole, Alphaville, Tulane Blacktop, Trancers, The Buddy Holly Story, Five easy pieces sweet smell of success and sunset boulevard wow damn i'm gonna have to probably like listen to this when i go to bed tonight <laughs> this is that's fascinating yeah see, see what you've done ken you're like uh <laughs> I, you're like napalm of of nerdery like i, I now, know i've watched all this uh i've watched all these alex cox movies now i've got like uh all these YouTube videos to watch it. It's kind of what you do, you know? I mean, I love that though. Like it's selfishly, you know, these things that I love and I've seen a million times it, it's so interesting and satisfying to, even if someone doesn't like them, but to sort of experience them via someone who's never seen them before, like experience Mm -hmm. them again. And I, I love that. Well, yeah, me and Don have been doing that with our kids, you know, like, yeah. Um, I'm a super proud parent, dad. Bad parent over here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a su- I'm a super proud dad because um, I took my daughter to see something at an IMAX and they had the preview for the re-release of ET. And I've kind of like mm-hmm. I, I'm a Spiel- I'm a Spielberg guy in this house, so I've been like slowly like implementing Spielberg throughout her life. You know, she's 13, and my proud dad moment was when she saw the preview for ET. She's like. And she doesn't really necessarily like movies as much as I do. She was like, let's go see that. And I was like, yes. And I bought tickets immediately and we're seeing it this Sunday. So that was my proud dad moment. And now I get to see, you know, a Spielbergian masterpiece through her eyes. You know, it's like that experience Mm -hmm. is like, it's almost like watching it for the first time again, because you're like seeing it differently, you know? Um, And I I ever, sorry, no, go ahead, please. This is a total side note, but when I had John Sales on, have you ever heard the Dark Skies thing with him? Oh, oh no. no, tell me more about that. Remind me. So, so John Sales, who is an amazing you know writer director, and just oh, a really down to earth yeah. like good dude. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know when I had him on my show, I couldn't believe it. He was super psyched to do it. He showed up with like all these um, TV themes. Like he did so much pre work. Like he was psyched. It, it blew my mind. But he he had written. So Spielberg was really mad that the studio made Jaws 2 without his knowledge and kind of without his input. And so Spielberg wanted to get ahead of a sequel to Close Encounters. Um, So he commissioned a script for a sequel to Close Encounters. And he hired John Sayles because he loved the movie Piranha. He thought it was the best Jaws (laughs) ripoff. And so Sayles wrote that movie. So he hired John to write a sequel to Close Encounters. And what John wrote was this script called Dark Skies. And the the sort of premise was that Spielberg gave him was I want this to be the darker the dark side of Close Encounters light side so that we're you know we're saying aliens aren't one or the other they you know they're they're like humans that depends on who you know who they are so he writes this script which you can find online um, and essentially the plot of the script is <clears throat> this fa- the suburban family is in a half built tract home in a in a subdivision and are terrorized by these aliens for the the whole <laughs> film and there's a b plot where the the family's one, one of their sons is autistic and he befriends one of the aliens who's actually a good like a good alien so mm. spielberg gets this script and he goes look 
we're not going to make this movie, but what I've done is I'm having a guy write a movie about that autistic kid and the good alien. And then I'm going to have a guy write a movie about this suburban family being terrorized in a tract home. So he made E.T. and Poltergeist from this one script John wrote, paid John for for both of those movies (laughs) in addition to the Dark Sky script. And, you know, John's very humble about it, but that's where those movies came from. Wow. I I, I think I had heard something about that because – wasn't that kind of like an eighties thing? Cause wasn't short circuit kind of the same thing where it was like originally started as like, <laughs> right. like an evil robot that kills people and it ended up yeah. becoming like a, you know, like I think that was kind of an eighties thing, but like, I, I do want to get your, I do want to get your conspiracy theory hat on here. Ken, why have you on the show when we're talking about this? All right. You just mentioned poltergeist who directed poltergeist, Toby Hooper or Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg. Hooper had a heroin problem. Which I've never, I've not heard a lot of people say publicly, um, but I've I've been told, mm. um, and and was not really in shape to direct that film. Mm. Okay, um, and I like Toby Hooper. I you know I I think his best movie is Funhouse by far. Oh, you um, like Funhouse? Huh? Okay, all right. Funhouse is easily his best movie. It, it it's. <laughs> Um, I don't know about that, but yeah, okay. I like it. It's better than Chainsaw. And I, but I'm one of the people who thinks Chainsaw 2 is better than the original Chainsaw. Um, uh, they're both equal in my eyes, but yeah. I for a you. wide variety of reasons. And I actually really, really love his Invaders from Mars remake. Oh, um, great, great movie, yeah. But Funhouse to me is a perfect midway between the sort of grungy um, weirdness of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a sort of slicker, more Hollywood approach. And it has that perfect atmosphere of how terrifying carnivals are when you're a kid. <laughs> no, it, yeah. You, maybe I'll need to rewatch it now that you've talked about it. Cause I've always kind of considered that one of the outliers. Uh, I kind of put that up there with the, uh, God, what was the Stephen King? A mangler. The mangler with, uh, you know, Robert England doing whatever the hell he's doing. Yeah. And, I mean, that uh, was Hooper was just gun for hire at that point. I mean, yeah. he had directed the pilot for Freddy's nightmares for TV and, um, you know, had done a lot of t- people throwing him bones basically. Sure. Um, you know, but I, I, I think that invaders from Mars was probably the last great thing he did. Life force is a friggin' mess. Um, Oh dude, I love life force. It's, it's so entertaining, <laughs> but it's a mess. I mean, the original novel is really bad. Um, it, it's a weird, and it's definitely not a Toby Hooper like that. That's a studio kind of just had him be on, you know, it was like, he's a hired gun. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He had some crazy ones too, like, uh, eaten alive and spontaneous combustion. And yeah, Stuff like that, but no, I, I was just curious what your take is because if you dare to say that take on uh, Twitter, you're, you'll find the Toby Hooper heads that will. You know, oh, I've got. Oh, they've come for me before. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I have nothing against Toby Hooper. You know, I know people who yeah. knew him by all accounts. He, you know, he never. He, he's not a. It was not a bad guy. Um, right. You know, and it, it's weird that you know the best I can tell, the guy had an addiction problem. Um, you know, he was in over his head in Hollywood because he had made Eden Alive was an indie film as well, but these two seat of his pants indie films basically that blew up and he was not equipped to play the Hollywood game and, and be able to make movies on time and on budget. Have you, have you ever heard the Stuart Gordon story about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? That he wrote that with, uh, Yuzna? 
Right, but he was he was supposed to direct it, and yeah, like right before he was supposed to direct it, like he started like bleeding out of his eyeballs <laughs> or something. Like he had so, he had like such a massive Dang. headache that he was bleeding out of his eyeballs, and he yeah. had to quit the picture. Like I was just like, God damn, Hollywood man, they come for these little indie you know horror directors and just kill them. Well, two two things there you, was that still in do the- it now. You got you got Scott Derrickson. You've got sure. I mean, they do happens all the time, man. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the great thing about the golden age of made for TV movies was that that was the perfect place for those guys to work. Like Wes Craven did like four made yeah. for TV movies. Are they would good? hire. Yeah. They're all good because these guys know how to do something quick and in a genre. And it was the perfect place for them. Um, you know, and it was relatively low stakes. They weren't, you know, the linchpin mm-hmm. of this $30 million Hollywood movie. that's going to sink a studio. Um, my friend Ryan Lambert, who's you know from the Monster Squad, um, he was cast in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the original title of that was Grounded. And when they started shooting, they changed the title to Teeny Weenies, <laughs> and he quit because of that. <laughs> I can see that. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty intense. Teeny Weenies, can you imagine that? happened yeah but then oh, he was man. like i'm not doing this and then it becomes honey i shrunk the kids wow wow that's interesting you know i i that was my fatal uh you know uh that was my fatal flaw don as i said hey ken have you heard the story about Stuart gordon uh mm-hmm. i knew as soon as i said that ken was going to be like not only do i know that but <laughs> sorry I know all of this other stuff too. that was my fatal right. flaw sir i, I should have just like i should have just I apologize <laughs> i tend to just no no, no no no, we, we and that's, I'm glad that's and I'm glad Gordon got ill. Yeah. And I'm glad Gordon got ill because it gave us Joe Johnston. So and without that, we don't have the Rocketeer. Without that, we don't have a lot of things. So yeah. Yeah. But we wouldn't have some of the stuff Gordon did after, which is some of his best stuff. That's right. Like Kingdom sure. of Ants and Dagon's really good. Yeah, those are you know, it's actually funny because we were talking about Hooper and Stuart Gordon did some of these, and I think Carpenter did a couple of these. Those Master of Horror short films are pretty good sure. too. Uh even yeah. Toby. Toby Hooper did one with Robert England that is based on a Richard Matheson um, story. I think it's called Dance of the Dead or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's Dance of the bad. Damned. Dance of the Damned. It's pretty good. Mm. It's, a, it's yeah. not bad. Um, so, yeah, if he was, you know, if, like you said, throwing some bones his way, he could still make something. But, yeah, I just needed to know where you stood on the whole Spielberg thing because that's, that's a pretty big uh, – because that thing, man, it smells and looks like Spielberg, doesn't it? It just, It's Spielberg. It just, it's 100% yeah. Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, come on. Well, well, uh, we don't want to carry you on. We know it's late for you. We wanna we wanna have you back for another episode. I think we're gonna talk about back to the beach. Back I can't wait. Um, beach. But, yeah. but let's uh, let's uh, close this one out. Any before I go out with our intro, Ken, why don't you give us where we can reach you? You know, social medias, websites, fax sure. machine numbers, whatever, whatever you got. Sure. I'm at I, the letter I, KenReed.com or TVGuidanceCounselor.com. Um, and I'm at TV Guidance or at Kenneth W. Reed on all the social media. Um, every week's brand new episode of TV Guidance Counselor. So um, there's about 600 episodes in the back catalog if you haven't checked the show out. Um, you know, I recommend oh, yeah. just cherry picking some names you've heard of. There's probably somebody. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably everything. Nice, nice. And as for us, we don't have quite the same following yet, but we're hoping <laughs> no, we're hoping uh, by, 
by getting Ken here, we're hoping we pick up a whole new set of fans uh, because uh, he's our kind of guy. Uh, so follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile His Fit Podcast. You can also find both of us on Letterboxd. Uh, Ken, are you on Letterboxd at all? No, I signed up for it and then I kind of lost interest, but maybe I'll need to revisit it. Okay, okay. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast. It is brought to you and edited by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Thank you, Mitch. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter. And we are, me and Don are both charter members of the new Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 